Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song I said to Hank Williams How lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all night long. Oh, a hundred floors above me in the Tower of Song. Radical Australia. Excuse me, you're not Dale. No, I'm not. She's been given leave, has she? Yes. To go back to the land of the Queen, oh, where she belongs. So. Being an empress, she's maybe she's uh, gone for an upgrade yes. on her. Um... Oh, so well, I get Michael Smith, the most <laughs> boring <laughs> interviewee I've ever had on Radical Australia. Yeah. Well, you don't. The man with the perfect life. I don't have to um to give you my life story today, at least. <laughs> What's left that we haven't gone through? Remember the old remember the old saying: your life stories you can find on the back of a postage stamp. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure our guest has. Now we've got a very important guest. Every one of our guests is important, except for Michael. But he's doing all the technical bits and pieces today. Without Michael, Helen, no. we would be nowhere. Now, Helen, I'm going to introduce you. We got a drum roll. Uh, drum roll, drum roll. Do we? Do we? No, don't worry. You don't even get a drum roll on this. This is. This I'm tr- relieved. This is the trouble when you get replacement staff when the Empress isn't here. Oh, Michael's one of my favourite names, though. <laughs> He's actually Saint Michael. He has been. He has been uh, beatified at three CR. Right. And when he dies, we are going to um, put his skeleton. Because we're going to strip the flesh off first. We're going to let smell <laughs> in the basement here at 3CR. In the basement? Yep. We'll make a basement for him. And then, and then we'll all go down once a year and pray. Okay, our special guest is Helen Van Denberg. Hi. I got it right? You did indeed. No, I never no, I usually mis, mispronounce the, the guest's name. Now, Helen, now, we only asked two questions on the program. Good. You've got 55 minutes to answer them. Well, uh, yeah, that's fine, but I'm a bit nervous about the questions. No, no, they're very simple. Look, think of yourself as you and me in a canoe. You're on, <laughs> you're on one side relaxing. I'm on the other side with the oar. Right. And occasionally I'll just push it one way or another way with the question. That's all it is. And at the end of the day, nobody listens to Radical Australia, so it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> no, but there's always proof of their program. 
Really? Mm. Didn't know that. That's the trouble. Is that true, Michael? There is proof of the program? There is, yes. People can track you down. Well, the first question takes six seconds to answer, and the other one takes 54 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) What year were you born? Uh, I was born on a Friday at four o'clock in October 1945. You would have been a very, very... Loved baby. I was indeed. I have never had a day of my life where I've not felt loved or cherished. Well, that's, that's a wonderful way to be. It is. It's a very wonderful lucky. way to be. Oh, you're lucky. No, no, no. Well, yeah, some of us have that luck and some of us don't. So, where were you born? Port Melbourne. I was born at St Vincent's, but then went yeah. home to Port Melbourne because my parents lost everything in the Depression, like a lot of other people. Uh-huh. And they moved to Port Melbourne. And when I was born, we were in a house that was behind and above a shop in Bay Street, Port Melbourne. Bay Street, Port mm. Melbourne. Which Only kept... They, they'd kept the house? Well, no, they, they were renting. <laughs> well, they, they didn't well, own it. They lost, they lost everything in the Depression. <laughs> then we moved to Scotswood. Hang on, hang on. I asked the question. All right. All right. I mean, we want, to, we want to tease out the Port Melbourne. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got 55 minutes, all right? Okay. Now, what were your parents' names? Thomas Braddy, mm-hmm. and my mum's was Irene Howard, was her maiden name. Mum was a Northcote girl, mm-hmm. and dad was from the country. The country where? Yeah. Well, uh, his father was the principal of um, Warburton West School, mm-hmm. but he had been down at Rosebud. So my dad could tell us stories of living in Rosebud when he was four. So that would have been 1904. And he remembered sailing ships coming in through the heads. And when he came to the city with his mother to shop, they'd catch a coach, a horse-drawn coach, about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning to get to Frankston Station by 6. And then the steam train would take them to Melbourne by 9. And then the shopping had to be done because they needed to be on preferably the 12 o'clock train, if not the 3 o'clock train. You realise nothing has changed. Because well, these no. days, with the traffic, and exactly. I've done this, you can leave at Frankston at 6 and you'd be lucky to get to Melbourne by half past eight, quarter to nine. Oh, no problems believing no. that. So really nothing. is technology really hasn't advanced us one little no. bit. No. And what type of work did your uh, dad, dad do? Dad was a tailor. A tailor. Yeah, in, he finished up in the Air Force mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's very well known because he used to adjust the uniforms of all the people who came in and the officers also loved him because he was a good tailor and he could make everybody's uniform look good on them. Yeah. And for well, us... Well, he never met me, did he? I, he wouldn't <laughs> have had a problem with you. Because <laughs> then when we moved to Spotswood, he used to do jobs on the quiet for some oh. of the officers because they couldn't get a suit to fit them and Dad would do it. Oh. But he was a very particular man and very proud of his work. So if he made a mistake, he unpicked it and did it again. And you just weren't going to go out unless that suit sat properly on you. You have one condition. I will make your suit provided I come with you when we buy the material uh-huh. because I'm not working with cheap cloth. Oh, I like that. He's a, he was a master craftsman. He was very proud of his. Yeah, and he had, he'd gone to the sugarcane fields mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Queensland in mm-hmm. 1918 because um, with our Irish background, we weren't supporting the 
the trade war that the other people like to call the First World War mm, or the Great mm. War. The war fought by so, workers at either end of the bayonet. It's just barbaric. But mm. anyhow, so he went up to the cane fields and he made more money there than he'd been. He had to leave school at 14. And then he made more money up there than he had down here where he was getting riddled with arthritis because of the work. And then he came back to help his parents and he also um, got himself trained on how to build a suit, as mm. it was called then. Suit, yeah. And he was a man of a humble man um, with uh, strong principles, mm. very strong principles. And how about your mum? Tell us about her. Mum, vivacious, chatterbox, um, very sick often because there was no, no way of helping her with her asthma. Um, so autumn used to be a bit of a threatening time because you used to wonder if she was going to die. Um, but always lively, never complained, couldn't take any medication anyhow because she just was allergic to everything and it made her really sick. So from one you learnt good values, from the other you learnt... Um, Stamina. Stamina. Well, composure under stress. stress. Mm. Don't show the stress, just get on with life get on and... With life. And, mm. you know, enjoy it. And mum used to smoke, two cigarettes, roll her own, mm-hmm. two cigarettes a day and sometimes three when she wasn't asthmatic. And she would sit out the back and look at the stars at night. And mm-hmm. the first stars she showed me were the seven sisters because she was one of seven sisters. sisters. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Mm. Were you an only child? The youngest of four. Youngest of four, though she had asthma and, and every... Autumn and winter, you worried about her dying. She still had four children. Yeah. Tough. Mm. And I assume they both did now. Yeah, Dad, Mum died um, <laughs> in 1975, um, uh, the Friday before um, the dismissal. The dismissal. And mm. Dad? Lived to 1988, and then after Mum died, he told us the stories of the, my husband, Jos, had a good relationship with Dad, and he got the... And when Dad was going blind, he got the book Weevils in the Flower. Yes. And he started reading excerpts of that to Dad, as well as the racing guide mm-hmm. and the, what happened in the footy. Mm-hmm. And Dad's stories about the depression poured out because he'd promised Mum he wouldn't speak about the depression so we couldn't find out about it till she was dead. Yeah. And then a whole lot of things that had mystified me about my parents just clicked in. Like what? Oh, my dad's sense of justice, his indignation at the way banks treated people. And I thought when I heard him, he sounded right. So I kind of believed him. But other people mocked what he was saying about the banks. These days, everybody yeah. loathes banks, banks. you know. Um, so... Uh, he thought the eight-hour day was fantastic. He uh, believed in unions. He, um, you know, he stood his ground for what he thought. Mm. And um, the, one of the things I remember most about Dad was because um, I used to get sick a lot too when I was a kid, so I'd be home at awkward times for Mum and Dad. And I remember Dad coming home early one day and talking to Mum and saying, Mum saying, Tom, I don't know why you bother. They're not listening to you. And he said, Rainy, it's the principle of the matter. So that night round the, well, we called it tea table, mm-hmm. not dinner table, um, said, what does principle well, mean? <laughs> and they sort of looked at each other like yes, she's been listening yeah, in again. Yeah. 
And Dad just said, well, it means it doesn't matter if another person is more important than you. And I'm thinking, well, there's nobody more important than me. That's what I was brought up to believe. Uh, whatever it is, doesn't matter if they're more important, rich or anything, if you're right, you must stick with it. Yeah, it reminds me of a conversation I had with my four-year-old son uh, almost a quarter of a century ago. We were at this large table, that's what reminded me, and the people were chatting away, and obviously we mix in radical circles. This was 25 years ago. And he looks up at me and he shouts at the top of his voice, he says, Dad, what's a lesbian? (laughs) (laughs) And I had to explain. (laughs) <laughs> to this four-year-old child at the tail. Everybody stopped and looked at me. Yeah, they would be yeah, interested so the to same, see how same, it, same, yeah. same, same, same thing, yeah, they, yeah. You do ask the most awkward questions, children, don't they? They do, yeah. 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 But the good thing about living in Port Melbourne was being near the beach. Yes, why? Oh, because I remember the day Dad took our next-door neighbour, Barbara, and I down to the beach, and I remember... and I. I can still bring back that feeling today of this openness because, you know, we're in a single-fronted little place and it's open and there's blue everywhere and sky. It's just sky, water and sand. Mm. I mean, I wasn't looking at the big ships where my brother used to go underneath the piers and get mussels and bring them home for mum. Mm. And it's just that, that, that great connection you feel when you're in that open space. And that, I think, is the beginning of my passion for water. For water. So... How old were you when you moved to Spotswood? Uh, five and a half. So you started school in Port Melbourne or Spotswood? Yes, St Joe's. St Joseph's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you went to where in Spotswood? Uh, oh, well, I had to finish. Well, because we were in the parish of Sacred Heart, I had to go to Newport and I hated that school. Why? Because the nun used to make everybody blow their nose first thing in the morning and I used to feel sick. When that happened, oh, I think that so was I just turned up snotty nosed little kiddies, <sighs> so pre antibiotics. I, I just um, told my mother I wouldn't go to school unless I could be late, so I went late every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. My in ma- primary school. Yeah, in that. you missed prayers, didn't you? And the flag raising. We didn't do flag raising in Catholic schools in no, those days. No, that no. came in when the Commonwealth started handing out money. No, yeah. your own, your own bosses in those days. It was only good. Oh, what better than an infallible one? <laughs> well, well, I, 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 yes, I know. I remember my first doubts were raised when I must have been about five or six. And there were all these nuns had came into church and they were ordained nuns and they were called Brides of Christ. And I thought to myself, what a greedy old bastard. <laughs> well, I didn't wake up that young. <laughs> didn't you? Because, well, I had doubts. I had doubts at that age. Yeah. Well, look, it's a bit like my husband who was asking awkward questions at the age of eight, uh, you know. But um, because all the nuns that I met were kind and encouraging and gentle. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a bit of a difference between the Josephites and the FCJs out of oh, Vaucluse, Richmond. Yeah. They were much more, um, you know, I thought, they don't force anything. You know, there's a uniform, but if you don't, you know, they might be at the gate checking to see you've got your gloves and hat on when you're going out the door. But there's no punishment for anything. It's it, The whole atmosphere was you had to do it voluntarily. So there was... You were being encouraged to do this for a particular reason. That was always well explained, but no force. Well, it's, it's, people don't actually understand how independent many of the orders are yeah. in the Catholic Church. But another good thing mm. about those was that my mother's mother had dropped dead when my mum was 14 months old and my 
grandfather's only living relative was a nun with the FCJs. So they ultimately took the four youngest girls in for free mm. at Vaucluse. So um, mum was called a corridor baby and the nuns ruined her. You know, they just spoiled her, picked her up, hugged her, cuddled her. Mm. So substitute, she, substitute child. Yeah. Mm. So and there was another little girl whose mother had also died. Mm. So there were two of them. Yeah. So what did you excel at primary school? Did you like it? Keeping my hand down and saying nothing, nothing much. Nothing. That was it. You just a seat warmer. Pretty much. Didn't didn't run, jump, swim. No, it was a way a lot because I had water. I had whooping cough as a kid, right. so I was prone to infections as mm. a consequence. So I missed a lot of school. Mm. And I was very good when I had... Well, I had one teacher I didn't like and then I got her again in grade four. And when I really got fed up with her, I'd just sit there and think, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, until I'd go white right. and I'd look green and they'd just send me home on the bus. That's good. And I'd go home and I'd read and listen to the radio. Yeah. What did you listen to? Whatever mum had on, which was... Um, Graham and Nikki, Nikki and Graham. Nikki and Graham, yep, yeah. Yep. So, obviously, you left primary school. Where'd you go to high school? Vaucluse, Richmond. Vaucluse in Richmond. What was that yeah. like? Lovely. Tell us about it. Well, you catch the train in Spotswood. You can read. It, it had a bigger library than the primary school because I read all the books in in um, the libraries, mm-hmm. and you could read anything you liked. So. Then you caught off, caught a tram, 10 minutes down the track, you walk up to school and you go into this lovely welcoming environment where people are encouraging you to exercise your brain a bit. Yeah. And it was nice. So and um, I felt uncomfortable there. Why? Because um, although girls were nice to me, I didn't feel like I connected with them because I had a friend at... St Augustine's Yarraville, who was much cleverer than me, and her dad was wounded in the Second War, and her mum worked in a bakery to um, supplement the income, mm. and she was really clever and wanted to stay at school and couldn't, and then Sister Sander went around to visit her parents and persuaded them to let her go and become a stenographer at, by going to St Monica's for a commercial class for a year because then she'd get a better wage, and they did. And she was so grateful and excited about that. Mm. And I get to Vaucluse and people there seem to me to be taking their right to education for granted. And So how far did you get in high school? Uh, matriculated. You matriculated? What year was that? Twelve. Twelve of what year, what year, what year? Oh, that was 1962. You matriculated 1962. Yeah, skip grade five in primary school. Yeah, it looks like it. And But things were starting to change in 62, weren't they? Oh, yeah, they were. They Because we had um, John the 23rd. Yep. And we had a progressive parish priest at St Margaret Mary Spotswood. And he'd hauled me into... Um, young Catholic workers. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I don't go to work. He said, you use your brain, that's work, you're coming to this. You can, you <laughs> we can need you. Come on in. And, yeah. and he had a meeting with us, I think it was every Monday or every second Monday, mm-hmm. and we had this See Act Judge, uh, See Judge Act motto. Judge Act. He went on about it all the time, and I just get sick of it. But you used to have this passage of gospel, and then you'd read it and say what it meant. But then you had to say, how does that look today? he would say. Mm-hmm. 
and we had to sit there and think of some action that we could do in the next week that would exemplify the message of that bit of the gospel. I was hard slog sometimes. Oh, it is. It is for a young woman, you know, you know. Well, 16, yeah, my, my priority was ballroom dancing in those days. Ballroom dancing. When did all this start? Oh, my dad was a good dancer mm-hmm. and my all, my whole family loves dancing. So um, there was this, um, what was his name, Maguire. Patrick Maguire had a dancing school down at Williamstown in Yarraville. He finished up owning the St George's Picture Theatre. And we used to do our medals and public dancing. That was a heck of a lot of fun. And, of course, I didn't get a lot. I just did the minimal homework all through high school. Right, right. But you did matriculate. Yeah, because I took subjects I liked. Like what? Oh, history. History? Modern history. I got so tired. I said, when did the Europeans stop fighting with each other and get on with living? So I got a bit bored in that. So my marks weren't so great in that because I got sick of it. Do ancient history? Yeah, I did, and I loved that because we had this wonderful teacher called Miss English who became Mrs Ludwig, Mm -hmm. and her first statement to us was, I don't care what side of the argument you have, you can be for or against them, you just have to prove your point. So I felt really liberated in in Mm -hmm. that little... And there were only four of us in that class. So that was good, and I did English and English literature, and I did musical appreciation because I wanted to learn about music. And Mother Xavier said, Helen, what about your oral test? I can't sing in tune if you pay me. I've got about five <laughs> notes. I said, oh, I'll be fine. Yes. And she looked at me, but she didn't disagree with me because, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, and I thought, well, I'm going to fail it, but I'm going to learn something. And mum had said to me, don't worry about passing, Helen. Just go there and learn to think. Right. And when I came home and said, oh, the nuns had said, at the end of leaving, the nuns had said, if it was possible for me to stay for another year, it would be good for me, but I might not pass. My dad just said, you mean you've been at that school four years and they don't realise you could pass matric? He said, they don't know you very well. And I thought, well, Dad doesn't know how minimalist (laughs) my approach to homework is because I'm too busy dancing. So was your room festooned with ribbons and caps? Oh, no. No, 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 no. no. I, I don't even know what With happened ballroom to ballroom dancing? Oh, I got when cups and medals. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know, at that age you would, wouldn't well, you? Well, we just stuck them in the cupboard at home out of the way. Oh. Nobody skited about anything. Oh, no. oh, that doesn't sound good. If you can't skite about it, what's the point? The fun of doing it. <laughs> the one time I didn't come first in my test was the year I spent most of the time teaching the other girls how to get better at dancing. Yeah. And one of the girls I put a lot of effort into beat me by half a mark, and I was really proud of that. That's right. What's my brother was cross with me, but I was pleased Chris. about it. Yeah. I thought it was good. So what does a young 16, 17, 17 not 70-year-old, 17-year-old do once she matriculates? Well... <laughs> I'd always thought I was going to be a nurse, but I found out I didn't like blood. Mm. And then this Father Keenan came and visited us uh, while we were in matric and said, well, if you've done your leaving, you can, you're can you qualified already to go to teacher's college. And I thought about it and I thought, oh, well, if you're mixing with kids, that would be all right. So I said I'll do that. And then my mother was furious because I was going in the Catholic system and not the state system. She said, you'll be overworked and underpaid, which was true, but I didn't have the brains to appreciate that. And Dad was very proud of me. Hmm. So how long did you teach for? 43 years. 43 years. 43 years. Oh, look, kids are wonderful to be with. You're kidding. 
No, I'm not. They're very different. There's, there's, look, there's just something special in each kid. You just Is have there? to look. Right. Can I ask you a special question? Nobody's listening. Mm. Did you get the kids to blow their nose before the class? <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Oh, of course I'm not. I'm devastated. I'm <laughs> devastated. It's all right. You can cough away. This is not nobody listens. So you cough away. Cough as much as you like into the microphone. We're not going to even bother with a cough button because that's not real radio. Forty-three years. Let's go back. Let's go back. So how old were you when you took your first class? Eighteen. And you were being paid. Sort of. What do you mean, sort of? Well, you know, Catholic system didn't have much money in those days because it was before we got federal funding. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I did this one-year condensed course. We had to work really hard and on the Saturday. Mm. So instead of taking a two-year course, we did it in one. And then the next year we're supposed to be supervised with the class. Well, I had a class of 55 and I learned heaps. Only only 55? Yeah, well, the next year was 72 for three weeks. And then they changed, They got extra teachers in because there was yeah. a shortage of teachers then. Yeah. So, And I kept saying at the end of the year that I wanted to leave because there were things I didn't know about how to teach and when I went to the principal I said look I'm not getting through to the kids but it's not their fault it's the way I'm teaching she said I'll pray and trust in God (laughs) (laughs) and I I got really peeved (laughs) anyhow on the train from Altona to Spotswood the deputy principal used to travel on the train and he was often on the same train as I was it was either the 10 to 5 or quarter past 5 and he said Helen you look upset what's the matter I said, well, those kids are not stupid and they're not learning, so I need some other clues. And this is what sister said. He said, well, why don't you come down and visit the school on the holidays of obligation? So I used to go down there on holidays. Okay. Of- What's a holiday of obligation? Just, just <sighs> Day us. off school because you're glorifying some saint and saying thank you for it. So I would go a down. A rostered day off. A rostered day a off. A Catholic rostered day <laughs> off, I like That's it. That's right. <laughs> so I'd go down to the state school and visit the other classrooms yeah, there and yeah. they had classes with 30 in it and I thought that was wonderful and I watched what they were doing in group teaching and how they were organising things so I went back to my classroom and implemented it and Mm. things got a lot better Mm. after that so I did that for two and a half years. So by now you'd be in your 20s and it'd be the mid 60s so (coughs) what was happening in the outside community having any effect on you? Yeah um Well, there was always the issue. Dad was into politics, and so that was discussed at home. And Dad was pretty much a Labor man, um, but he tolerated the DLP. So, um, and I didn't think it was fair that the kids I was teaching weren't getting a fair go, so there needed to be a change in funding. Um, We got into... um, well, we were keen on folk music in those days and protest songs. And my cousin and I, um, I used to go to the Outpost Inn. In the Collin- Outpost Inn. Yeah, in Collins Street, next to the Melbourne Club. They have the same rats as everybody else, actually. Yeah, really? Yeah, mm. I didn't realise that. Mm. Equal opportunity rats. Mm. <laughs> they eat, I'll eat wherever they get a feed. Mm. Mm. So, um, so I used to volunteer on a Saturday night in there. Mm. And then I went in one Sunday night to hear some poetry and I met Yoss. Yoss. Yoss is my husband. Yoss. Mm. Is that a name? It's short for Yosavis. So when people say 
God save us, he's saying, you're calling? You're calling. Yos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yos. You met him at a poetry thing. Yeah, well, he what, was, was there. was 67, 68? 67. They were actually having poetry slams in 67. Yeah. I can't believe it. So, really? Well, we were well, what type of the, the you know the boy sits on the deck of the ship no, or something? No, no, there not were, protest poetry and all that stuff. It was a mixture of that and mm-hmm. personal stuff because mm-hmm. the people writing it had had challenges in their life, so and they wanted to express it. Challenges? But you didn't have any challenges in your life. No, I didn't. That's why mm. I thought these people were pretty marvelous that they could have such such difficult circumstances and have already known what it was like to despair mm-hmm. and yet they still wanted to go on with life. So what attracted you to this poet? Oh, well, that Sunday after Mass Father Jim <laughs> said, Helen, you always come into work. Why don't you come in to enjoy yourself so for a change? You don't know us very well. So I said, oh, OK, I'll come tonight. Mm-hmm. And I took off at about 9 o'clock and my mother said, where are you going? I said, I'm going into the outpost inn to listen to some poetry from a couple of girls there. Mm-hmm. And she said, you're leaving at this time? I said, yeah, I'll be back before midnight. Mm-hmm. That would be music to your ears, Michael, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. you, you usually start at midnight on your rounds, don't you? <laughs> you wouldn't leave home before 11.30 these days, would you? Oh, Try not well, to. No, yeah, no, no. Nine o'clock, I... that's very... But in those days, that would be very risque to leave at nine on public transport. Well, I thought public transport was safe. I've Did never you? felt unsafe. No, 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 risque. 67, going to the outpost in in Collins Street. What happened to all those mods and widgies and bodgies and Oh, that sharpies? was my sister's. My sister was into that. I <laughs> was mean, she? Well, my sister used to bring a George Shearing and jazz music home and we just pushed the mat out of the way, pushed the furniture back and we all danced, oh. right? So we, you know. Was this her older or younger sister? Older. She's 10 years older. 10 Amy. years older. And she was the one who brought the outside world into the whole family. And because she was working, she bought comics for us on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, she took mum to the pictures. Um, she paid a board, which meant I could stay at school. You know, she was just the life of the place. Is she still with us? Yes, but she has very advanced dementia. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And how about uh, your other siblings? Oh, they're kind of out of the picture. They're out of the picture, right. Mm. Now, getting back to your husband, that first night, what attracted you? He just looked nice. He his looked eyes nice. Is, his eyes are sensitive. Sensitive eyes. Yeah. Well, I saw him in the, in the, in, yeah. in the lunchroom. He didn't, didn't look too sensitive to me. He just looked like another old, old bloke, you know, like me. You've got no taste and no perception. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. Look. <laughs> You're not the first one who said that, Helen. I can assure you no. I have no taste. And the other thing that was absolutely startling and different about him was mm. that he treated me as an equal. And what? back then, it, the people who didn't treat women as equals. He treated you, a woman, as an equal in 1967? Yeah. What was wrong with the man? He wasn't a foreigner, was he? Well, he belongs in the planet the same <laughs> as you and me. Yeah, where, did, <laughs> where, where, where did this human, this unique human being hail from? It was while I... In the Netherlands. In the Netherlands. Yeah. Ah. How did your family feel about you hooking out with my slightly a Protestant? Was he a Protestant? No. No, Catholic. Well, he didn't claim he was a Catholic. Just he gave that up at about ten. Ten, yeah, he saw the light. Mm. Right, all right. So I assume you got married at some stage. Yes, in Pat's Cathedral. St. Patrick's. 
Mm. That's very nice. Tuesday afternoon in spring. In spring. Yeah. Yeah. You remember the day? 3rd of September, 3 o'clock. What year? 1968. And what did you you think of the day? I thought we just had to go through with that ceremony for the rest of society to understand that we were in love and... And that was it. And if I'd walked off with him, everybody would have had a fit and I didn't want to upset them, so we had a wedding. Yeah. Mm, I can imagine. But anyhow, at the actual ceremony on the day, um, we were standing on the high altar and they'd switched the microphones off by mistake. Okay. So it was just a little circle of us standing in the sunlight and mm. we just looked at each other and said our vows. So that was it. What can you say? Well, he's just lovable. That's all you can say about Yoss. Oh, gosh. The Yoss Appreciation Society. Did he have any family at the uh, wedding? Because in those days people didn't fly here and there and everywhere. No. 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 And uh, have you gone back to the Netherlands? No, our sons have. But Mm -hmm. Yoss said saying goodbye once was hard enough and he didn't need to do it again and Mm -hmm. he hasn't been. But he stays in touch with his sister who's still alive by phone. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, and the boys said it was funny that when they arrived there, they suddenly felt. He said we we're supposed to be arriving in a uh, in a different country, but you feel at home when you get here because you've got. We've had all those stories from Yoss when we mm-hmm. went camping, and he used to tell us about funny things and uh, that he'd done when he was growing up. So, how old are the boys now? Uh, Simon is about to turn forty-eight. Mm-hmm. In June, and Nick will be 46 in 46. October. And any grandkids? Two. Two. A boy and a girl. And you're the doting grandmother, I assume. Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. This is, not, this is not a very radical lifestyle to date. This is just like Michael's <laughs> life. This is a wonderful life you've had, a wonderful mm. life. When, when did you kind of venture out a little bit outside the, uh, you know, the, uh, the conventional norms? When did all this start happening? Well, I was teaching at um, at St Mary's Ascot Vale and it was a very poor school in those days. It wasn't trendy. The kids were gorgeous and the parents were really doing it tough, quite a lot of them anyhow, but some of the families weren't. But we got this directive from um, the Archbishop that we had to collect 50 cents per child per head of population of the school and send it to the mission in India and I got seriously cross about that and wrote him a letter and said I wouldn't do that and he had no right to ask us because this school was a mission in itself it was so poor mm-hmm. and that it was short of and I listed all the things we were short of and then I took it into the staff room to get people to sign it and the only other person who wanted to sign it was an Indian teacher Pat Kashan mm-hmm. So as she was just arrived in the country, I didn't want to get her into trouble, so I just sent it with my signature on, and the parish priest thought it was wonderful. And then when we had this, we were doing the fate, um, we got all the money for the school, and the next year we went 50-50 with India and the school. Hmm. What do you mean all the money from the school? Where did it come well, we from? got the fate. Well, we, you had the from fate, the fate and everybody yep. came, came, and yep. it made quite a bit of money for, right. for us anyhow. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. with, you know, we didn't have big aspirations again, thousands and thousands. Mm-hmm. And um, we got it spent on the school. And you said you've, you've taught for 43 years. Did you stay in the Catholic um, stream yeah. all that time? Mm. Now, you said funding, public funding made a difference. What type of difference did it make? It gave us parity with wages in 1974 because we paid, we worked for much less than the, um, the state school teachers got. 
So you mean a taxpayer's dollar was wasted on your wages? Yeah. That's extraordinary. I can't believe this. So we started getting funding then and uh, it was good. It was good. Yeah, there's a lot of people f- think that was wrong. You realise that? Yeah, but that's all right to have a difference in a democracy. Mm-hmm. It's not fair to have... I think when Whitlam said that it's no good letting those children have a second-rate education that's got not good for the nation, he was right. Mm-hmm. So... So you and your husband, you, what type of things have you got involved in that has caused you a little bit of a angst? Movement against uranium mining. You joined Morm, did you? Yeah. Why? Because it's clearly stupid to mine uranium. Mm-hmm. And before that, though, let's go back to 75, I injured my back and I had to spend a lot of time resting. And this is in 76. So while I was resting on the couch, I heard a lot of shows on 3CR. In 76? Yeah, in March 76. And I thought, when I get up from this couch and I can walk again properly, I think there's a lot of things that need to be be done out there and I should find out how to do, you know, make a contribution. You're not suggesting that 3CR led you astray in its very first year? Well, yeah, look what you got. Well, that's what I'm looking at. I'm just shocked. I'm shocked. You've put the blame on 3CR for your radical activity. Helen, well, what I don't you know doing? why you want to blame anybody. People are responsible for their own choices. Well, no, no, no. You're just trying to get no. some glory for 3CR out of this. <laughs> no, no glory. We don't need glory. You know we don't need glory at 3CR unless it comes with cash. And obviously in your situation it's not going to come with cash. But 76... So what, what type of programs, early programs, kind of fascinated you and got you going? Uh, the rights of gays and lesbians, equal mm. rights for women, equal pay for women, um, the uranium issue, um, uh, looking after the natural world instead of just raiding it all the time, um, things about living simply, and the union, the plumbers' union on a Saturday yes. morning, mm. um, that was good. So how did you find the station? Did you know about it or did you just accidentally stumble on Well, look, if you're on your back and you've got a, and you're bored and you can't mm. hold a book to read, yep. then you turn the radio on right. like I had when I was a kid and you just surf. You know what I think it was? God's will. Like the Mother Superior told you, trusting God and God did your back and so you could listen to 3CR and start on your radical adventure. Mm. I think so. Well, anyhow, I've, I've met a lot of really caring, good people that way. Right. So tell us some of the activities you and your husband have been involved in. Oh, handing out yellow cake in Gisborne and the people yeah. asking us, uh, do you have free-range eggs? <laughs> <laughs> and Nick says, Mum, these people don't get what you're yeah, trying, trying to, to tell them. He said, you better find another way of saying it because they're only interested in what chooks, what chooks you've got and that's why your cake's yellow. Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, your father and your mother talking about principles, isn't it? Mm. He says the principle of the thing. Mm. Yeah. And then um, I joined the Labor Party for a short time. When was this, post-dismissal? 79. 79. I didn't last very long. I became the secretary, went to a weekend where they trained you on how to run your local branch, went back Mm. and said, we're doing it all wrong and this isn't right and you're not supposed to sign up people, don't come to meetings. And So that group improved, but then we were passing little radical motions like get rid of the packaging industry because that's just Mm. an environmental hazard. And 
then suddenly um, we weren't a very popular little branch anymore. Mm. And I went off to, on paid study leave to do a graduate diploma in inter-ethnic studies and education at Melbourne Uni. Mm. And so somebody else took over being the secretary. And then when I, Yoss and I voted against the um, Bob Hogg amendment to say we can have three mines in um, Australia under Labor policy, mm. and um, this, the person who'd taken over the branch had refused to take my membership he said, oh, no, pay me later, pay me later. And I didn't twig what he was ah. up to. And then he tried to say people who haven't paid aren't voting. Yes. And the then Jack story. Simpson, the member for Nidri, stood up and said, I will not have this in mm. my electorate. In mm. my electorate. Mm. You will take the vote from the people as their hands are up and just do it. And uh, then we did that. And then at the end of the meeting I got up and said what I thought of that strategy. Um, anyhow... So, um, and then I met Joe Camilleri and Rita Camilleri, mm-hmm. who had a mom group meeting in their house. So, um, and then when Joe with Jim Fork and Drew Hutton and Joe Valentine yeah. and Steve from Adelaide, um, we formed the Rainbow Alliance, and and I learned a lot of organising skills in that. Mm. Did you know Drew? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. He was a Good friend of mine in Queensland. He's a lovely person. He was. He is. He still is. Mm. It's people like that make me sick. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they really highlight, you know, the commitment, the, the committed, clean, good, hardworking activist. It's, yeah. it's a hard act to follow, Michael, isn't it? You know, Very people well. like us, we can never follow it. Well, you don't have to. You just have. No, to we don't. It. We don't. We don't even pretend to, do we? <laughs> no. So. The Rainbow Alliance. Where did that go? Nowhere, basically. <laughs> That's right. Um, it had wonderful policies. Its participatory democracy policy was wonderful. Its mm. recognition of Aboriginal rights throughout Australia, the need for a treaty and sovereignty um, was fantastic. I was really proud of all the policies that they developed, but a lot of the people who joined it weren't very, weren't very political, and so they didn't know when you needed to act politically like in a state or a federal election mm. so that drove me a bit nuts but anyhow um then of course kennett came into power and everybody who knew anything about organizing was welcomed back in their local community all of a sudden because you know you weren't a terrible radical you knew how to say no and in our case to a toxic dump in nidri quarry so suddenly i went from that person on the edge who no none of the neighbors were comfortable with was that wonderful woman that's right especially when their personal interests are at stake well, that's that the only reason be, they liked you. That's right. Because they saw you as a re- mm. way of getting through the dilemma. So how did it feel being loved by your neighbours? <laughs> funny. Who, who, who had <laughs> Look, shunned you and said, well, that's that funny woman who works at the Catholic school with all those funny ideas. Well, in our street, a lot of people, a number of people knew Yoss because Yoss looked at the paddock out the back. Yeah. Nobody was doing anything about it. It was a thistle paradise, so he just started chopping down the weeds and planting. And then we'd found out about the organ pipes and we went down there and there was a public meeting held at the local school and the only two people who turned up who were not on the committee were Yoss and I. And we had the Victorian botanist there and he explained geology and the western basaltic plains. So we got involved in that. That was 1972. So he'd started on Spring Gully Reserve behind us. 
And so some of the neighbours had said, what are you doing? And they started to join in. And then Keeler Council decided after many years they'd give him 30 plants a year. Um, 30 so, plants a year. Yeah, but Shorter that's what he wanted. He wanted that. He time. wanted 30 because he could maintain 30. 30 and right. he could keep 28 out of the 30. 30 right. right. So that's all. And um, and you only do what you can sustain. Strain, that's right. So um, people liked him like that and they kind of tolerated me because I was with this lovely guy. Oh, and then suddenly the fact that I said things abruptly hmm. or in a straightforward manner was an asset Whoa. because I just said, yeah, well, I'm going to stand ne- in front of a truck. Right. And That's they're not coming in through Springdale Reserve. Now, how dare they try and come through Yoss's work? Yoss yeah. had spent years out there. He'd had a major accident. He, mm. he had had a lot of pain. He was out there m- making a contribution. Um, and they were just going to put a road through there and they were going to give everybody toxic dust. By this time, we'd been involved in the leaded idea. Um, because we were the Western Suburbs Rainbow Alliance and that issue had come up and Colleen Hartland and somebody else asked me if I'd come to the meeting and I thought they just needed somebody to take minutes. Mm. That turned out to be a bit different, but anyhow. Excuse me. I learned... Well, I found out the EPA was an an Environment Pollution Authority Mm. and... um, I never knew we had an environment pollution. Authority. Well, it's going to change under the new act, so it? it's oh, right. really good. It's, it's good. going to be it's really good. good in the future. It's going to, well, it's going to be a lot better okay. anyhow right. because we're going to have a duty of care not to pollute, and that's cheaper than cleanups. So business. You're kidding. No. <laughs> you mean so, cleanups are expensive? Well, a Superfund site in America takes about ten years and a hundred million. And and then. It- and we've got a super fun site equivalent in Tullamarine Toxic Dump. Yeah. But going back to the story. Yeah. It was strange. I mean, I, I was uh, appreciated in my school environment by the kids and parents, but I was a bit of a thorn in the side of other people because of some of the things I said, but mm. we don't have to go into that. Mm. And um, it was quite funny mm. to be... Loved, um, respected, needed is the key word. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, they need, they need somebody on the front line. Have you noticed that? Yeah, well, you choose which front line you're going to be on. Yeah, but you always, you know, it's always amazing how after years and years and years somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, would you like to be on the front line in this struggle? Well, I thought, I looked at the, when I, when the EPA told me what was going to happen. And what I was said, going to happen? Oh, well, the Nidri Quarry, mm-hmm. which had a beautiful 12-hectare lake in it mm-hmm. where the black swans came and the birds came and the local kids went swimming in this highly salty water uh, and local people dropped cars over it. Um, it's, 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 that, this, this was... Um, and it and it was wonderful because you could see the sheer cliff face of 40 metres and you could see the different lava flows mm-hmm. and you actually saw a little bit of ash. And this was just beautiful. And they just wanted to fill it with toxic waste. So when the EPA said to me that they were, there was a proposal to do this, I said, well, look, I don't know anything about the other chemicals. What's the level in lead? I, and he told me, I said, that is not acceptable. This is not happening. Don't you hang up the phone till you've given me the name of the developer, the owner and the consultants, and I want all their phone numbers. Did you get them? Yeah. It wouldn't happen today. And then I said... Privacy for, Act. <laughs> well, and I said, and the other thing I insisted on was that he arranged a meeting between 
um, that guy and us, mm-hmm. and he turned up, and um, I just told him it wouldn't happen. And what did they say? They laughed? Well, no, he was not being rude directly. Mm. Um, mm. He, um, So I just said, I just went away and just, yeah, but we why, just organised. Why, why wouldn't you want a toxic dump in Nidri? Or, or well, it's bad enough that under the EPA Act, the land, the water and the air can be seen as places suitable for dumping in. Mm. That invariably leads to a cost in health of both the people and all species, and that is unacceptable. Well, to you, not no, to them. I don't care what they think. <laughs> right. If they're on the wrong track, they're on the wrong track, and I will say so. And so what actually happened with this particular struggle? Well, 40 months, three weeks and two days later, the Labor Party... Who was counting? Who was counting? The Labor Party got in and they had already committed that they wouldn't have the Nidri dump. So, um, and Harry Van Morst had his mob, Joanne Ryan, down at um, Werribee. So the two groups were liaising. Right. And, um, yeah. What about the Tullamarine toxic dump? The saga. The saga. The 10-year saga. Tell us about it. Well, it was a hole in the ground that um, the Melbourne Metropolitan Board of Works decided could have a planning permit without any community consultation for a, an industrial waste dump. And the EPA, in its grand wisdom, wrote the licence conditions. And there were three conditions. No odours offensive to humans and no impact on the waterways. I can't remember the third one. Anyhow... None of that was being adhered to. The people there organised and protested and in 2006, 2005, Friends of Steel Creek, because we formed Friends What happened of... to poor old Bernie Finn? Wasn't he supposed to be fighting for the people of Tullamarine? He gets elected and re-elected every time. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Go Colleen Hartland. <laughs> so, you mean um, Bernie wasn't involved in this struggle against the toxic dump in his electorate? No, let's not go into Bernie. Let's move on. All right. Um, so she doesn't we, want. She doesn't want to sue. No, it's not that. Said. There's nothing positive to say, so it's better to say something positive. <laughs> to move on. Yeah. So is that saga finished? No. So where is it now? What's the state well, of play? Well, um, the state of play is that we've raised serious doubts about the latest proposal by Clean Away the company, who say that monitored natural attenuation—that is, the bugs and in the ground will eat the toxic oils and it should be left there. And the EPA had already said it should be pulled up and that was eight years ago. And so we've said, no, 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 no. And um, the EPA have um, let us choose the consultant this time. Mm -hmm. And we've chosen Stephen Ampter from the US. He's in Washington because he's got 25 years experience, I think, with hunting polluted groundwater. And we've asked, and then we're getting a review of what the company proposal is. So, how big is this dump? Thirty-nine hectares. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. It's, it's leaking directly into the aquifer, which is the deep aquifer is forty-five meters below, and mm. 25, 20, 20 to twenty-five meters is the upper aquifer. And we have got um, the chemicals, the groundwater is going through the site. Uh, we're in fractured basalt, so there's lots of cracks and places for the water to go out, and it's transporting the chemicals off-site, and it's already at the border of the residential... It's admitted to be at the border of the residential area and in the long-term car park of Melbourne Airport, but we believe it's probably under people's homes, and we're a little bit concerned because 
get off gases, vinyl chloride gas, which is odourless and carcinogenic, and people are a bit concerned that that could be coming under their houses. And because gas is lighter than air, it comes up through the soil. And everybody else says, well, well, that's not much of a risk. And we say, who chooses our risk? We do, not you. But I thought the bugs were eating it all. Isn't well, that no, the, the other part of that, we, we, the, you, the US EPA had a little leaflet in 19... Was it 98 or 88? Yeah, 88 was yeah, when they decided yeah, every dump always yeah, leaks. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, that, go yeah. figure. And then they had this one in the 90s that said... A fresh spill can be eaten if it's one kind of oil. Mm. Bugs will eat it pretty quickly. Fair enough. This is highly contaminated with, and we've got chlorinated solvents, PCBs, dioxins, furans, TCE. That's a lovely Are you suggesting all these chemicals are going to kill the bugs? Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, not me. The US no. EPA said well, that they... I don't care about them. I care about what you think. Well, I, I actually agree with that part of their argument. Yeah. Of course, when we say that, we're cherry-picking. Yeah. But if the company picks a different part that says bugs can eat it mm. and they don't think about it needs to be fresh, mm. they accuse us of cherry-picking. So I just think, well, cherries are nice. Well, they are. <laughs> as long as they're not poisoned. Now. Well, unless they're organic, they will be. Getting, getting, getting back to your story, what year did you retire in? Uh, 2000 and... When was... 2009, 10. And assume, 2010. And I assume since then you've just been lying on the couch, watching TV, surfing the net and just waiting for death. Is that correct? No. <laughs> what? what? What have you been doing? Well, look, I went part-time in 2005 and then in, 2000 and, in 2006 I went part-time and then that's when the talotoxic dump started up again. And then the people who'd had the first group dropped us dropped us a bundle of archives mm. about how, or their fights and their health concerns. And so we joined the Friends of Steel Creek had been over the year before saying, listen, we're a bit worried about your dump leaking and causing a problem for our creek because we've got a little high heavy mm-hmm. metal readings. Mm-hmm. Are you going to go for an extension? Because we were all so fighting at the time, the Hat and the Whingy thing. We were part of the Melbourne Coalition. Right. And we said, and if you put your hand up for an extension, we'll come here and we'll fight you with everything we've got. And they said, oh, no, no, it's all right, Helen. We don't want Mount Tullamarine. You know, we're only interested in post-closure. Then they put in, in just before Christmas for an extension, all hell breaks loose. Liz Beattie, the local member, called a public meeting. She asked Harry to be a guest speaker. And um, So you're suggesting, you're telling me that you haven't taken it easy, you haven't put your feet up, you've continued with this radical nonsense. Well, you can't walk away from Tuller. Tuller is going to be a chemical cocktail for 100 to 200 years. And our EPA Act has not protected us. It's licensed pollution. And the next act is going to have a duty of care to prevent pollution. Mm-hmm. So although I've bashed my head against a brick wall for since 1979 with the EPA... I believe that there is the goodwill and we just need the money from the government to have and the inquiry that happened was really good and its recommendations are good. So if we can bring that about, future generations can be saved a lot of the pain that we have had. Mm. So have you got a parting word for our listeners, especially our younger listeners? Just do it. Excuse me, that's that's been taken. 
Just Do It has been taken. It's on T-shirts. It's been, uh, uh, what would they call it when they... Uh, branding or... Branding, no. Logo. Blue. Yeah, the logo, the branding, they've actually... Um, copyrighted it. Copyrighted it. You can't do that. Sorry. Well, the other one, um, <laughs> Stephen Lester wrote on a photo for us when he came out yes. to speak at the National Toxics Network in March 1997, and he wrote, Together We Will Win. So Yoss, That sounds good. We put that on our yellow notice board in the yep. park together we will win and then Yoss got the fun of changing it together we won excellent well you're right together is the key isn't it it together. is together well you that can't do it by yourself and besides that it'd be boring no you have nobody it's to the, argue with well it's the others that that yeah. you learn from, from that yeah. you know because it only works if you're a team well look all I can say Helen it's been a pleasure talking to you the time's gone the time has <laughs> gone <laughs> The time has gone. It goes oh. very quickly. Yeah. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a pleasure learning about you and, and your husband. Maybe we could get him into the studio one day. Trust your luck. <laughs> Try your luck. You've got no idea. You've got no idea how persuasive I can be. on in your address and we'll send out yes, two, large, two large people to pick him up and bring him to the studio, won't we, Michael? We can oh, sort well, that out. You'd have to it. talk to him about sculpture. Yes. Well, we'll talk to him about his life. That's no, what we talked to him. About. Well, that's what we talked to him about. Mm. So, no, it's been a pleasure, Thanks and you. I'm pleased that 3CR led you astray in <laughs> 1976. <laughs> it actually confirms everything we thought about this station. It is a hotbed of radical activity. So, yeah, congratulations on a life well lived. Oh, thank you very much. Thank it's you very, very much, Helen. Thank you, Everybody knows